Welcome back to the Going Coastal Podcast, the podcast of the Students and New Professionals chapter of the American Shore and Beach Preservation Association and hosted by the American Shoreline Podcast Network. I'm going to be your co-host for the day, John Miller. And today we're lucky enough to have two guests, uh, Lauren Schambach, an ocean engineer at MITRE, and Mohamed Jamous, a current PhD student uh, at Stevens Institute of Technology, expecting to graduate in August 2023. So keep that in mind, anybody listening out there. Uh, free agent. Um, in this episode, the, we're going to bring to you some insight about what to expect when studying abroad and talk about the different experiences that our guests have had um, in their journeys studying abroad and hopefully provide some tips for those of you who might be considering it or who are currently going through the studying abroad process. So with that, I'd just like to welcome Mohammed and Lauren to the show. Welcome. Thank you. Great to be here. Thank you. We're going to start the show off like we start off most shows, which is just to get to know our guests a little bit better. So very broad question, very open-ended, and we just ask our guests to describe a little bit about themselves, what they do, what their background is, academic and otherwise, hobbies, interests, whatever you like. Um, and I guess we'll start with Lauren first. Awesome. Thanks. Uh, so yeah, my name is Lauren Shambach. I grew up at the Jersey Shore, uh, went to the beach a lot as a kid and pretty much became obsessed with the ocean and ocean waves. Um, I didn't know that that was a thing that you could even study when I was younger, but uh, as I was looking into colleges, I found the ocean engineering program at the University of Rhode Island, and I thought that that sounded super awesome. So I got to kind of use my math and science skills and then apply it to something that I was super interested in. And I took that interest all the way through a PhD um, and my specialty is kind of in ocean wave mechanics and uh, running numerical models to learn about different coastal processes. Uh, my PhD work specifically was on numerical modeling of tsunami generation, propagation, and coastal impacts. And now I work at the MITRE Corporation. I'm in the uh, blue tech sector um, up at the Bedford, Massachusetts campus. And uh, yeah, we've got a lot of interesting projects uh, going on and new programs that we're developing since we have a state-of-the-art test tank facility that's going to be coming online soon um, where we'll be able to work with our different industry, academic, and government partners to test out different technologies and advance the blue tech sector. Um, so lifelong beach goer, beach bum, I guess you could call it. Um, and uh, yeah, just super interested in the ocean and ocean processes and kind of why I'm in this field. Awesome. Cool. Marissa was actually holding out on me. She didn't tell me that I was interviewing another Jersey, Jersey Shore kid. So um, that, that's <laughs> really cool. Uh, where, whereabouts in New Jersey are you from, if you don't mind me asking? Uh, I'm from Brielle. Brielle. Okay. Very, very cool. I also didn't realize, well, I guess I should have figured when I talked to Marissa, but I was going to have to speak modeler for this episode because Mohammed is a, a, a fellow modeler. So I'm going to have to adjust my, my language and try to speak your language. <laughs> uh, um, so with that, uh, Mohammed, why don't you uh, give uh, the audience a bit of an introduction to yourself and your background? Hello, everyone. Um, I uh, did my undergrad in uh, civil engineering at uh, Jordan University of Science and Technology in, uh, in Northern uh, Jordan. Uh, after that, I got interested in modeling. So uh, I was uh, fortunate to get a uh, 
a sponsorship to go and uh, work with some modelers at uh, Stanford University in California. And that was the first time I visited the U.S. And um, after that, I, I went back to my home country, applied for uh, a master's program at the University of Washington and got accepted. Um, then I, I, once I started my master's, I was focused more, I wanted to focus more on uh, hydrology and water management. But um, halfway through my master's, I took a hydrodynamics uh, class, advanced hydrodynamics class with uh, Professor Alex Horner Devine at the University of Washington. And uh, I got, I, I've fallen in love with fluid mechanics and decided to study fluid mechanics from that point forward. Uh, after that, I took some courses in sediment transport, wave mechanics, and uh, went back to my passion into modeling. And uh, by the end of my master's, uh, I was fortunate to get in contact with uh, Dr. Reza Marsouli here at Stevens. And uh, he offered me a position where I can come and study uh, the... Uh, climate change effect on hurricane-induced uh, hazards like waves and erosion. And um, that was a, like that, that brought both of the best worlds uh, in my case where I, where I worked with models and still worked on sediment transport. Um, now I'm about to be uh, done with my PhD and uh, I'll be uh, defending in August. Um, and uh, currently, hopefully, the next step would be also something related to modeling, uh, whether it's a job or a postdoc, a, a wave modeling, sediment transport modeling. And it's mostly, um, I, I'm looking for a career in uh, coastal engineering. Um, my hobbies, I, I have a lot of hobbies. I, I like to dance. Uh, I dance bachata and salsa. I like Latin dancing. I played volleyball for my school. So I'm a volleyball fan. And uh, of course, I'm a soccer fan. Uh, I played soccer since I was five. Um, I like to cook. I like to cook seafood. Uh, that's, <laughs> I think uh, that's too much details, but <laughs> maybe I should have said that also. No, that, that's great. That's great. Like it's, it's great when the, the audience can connect um, with our guests. So that's, that's awesome. I think it's one of the things that struck me about your, your two stories is that you kind of came to coastal in different ways, right? So Lauren was very much a beach bum from birth and kind of came into coastal, I would say, naturally uh didn't really have much choice growing up in brielle um whereas muhammad you came to it you know in a more roundabout way and went down a couple of different paths and ultimately ended up in the same in the same spot you know both working in modeling on the coastal side one in waves one in a little bit more in sediment transport but nonetheless kind of arrived at the same same spot so i think that's kind of interesting for our audience to hear because we frequently talk about how um and lauren you touched on this about how uh, you know, ocean engineering and waves and coastal is sort of an unknown uh, discipline. And so, um, you know, people come to it in different ways. So I think that's, it's, it's really uh, uh, good to hear that there's different, different ways to arrive at the spot we're at. And I think we both, we all would agree that it's a, it's a pretty cool, uh, cool job to have as a, as a coastal engineer. 
I think, you know, let's, let's just dig into the, the main subject matter, uh, you know, of, of this discussion. So it's, it's about international experiences. And I'll, I'll ask you again, Lauren, first, can you talk a little bit about your international experience, how you came about it, what it was like, and just kind of general overview? Yeah, definitely. So uh, talk about doing things in a bit of a roundabout way. Um, so when I was in high school, I really didn't like language classes. Um, we were kind of required to take one language class per year. And I went to kind of a science, engineering, and math-focused high school. So no one really took the language part super seriously. Um, so I really didn't envision doing anything with a foreign language <laughs> um, at that point in time. Uh, but it so happened that when I was looking for colleges, I went up to the University of Rhode Island for one of their, um, I guess, college fairs uh, that they were hosting. And I met someone there who was an ocean engineer, which, first of all, I didn't even know that that was a major that you could choose. Um, and he had just came back from study, studying abroad in Spain. Um, and so he told me about the international engineering program that URI has. It's a five-year program where you get a dual degree, one in an engineering of your choice and one in a language of your choice um, that the, the program includes. And basically for your fourth year, which would be your senior year, you spend that entire year abroad. You do six months uh, studying at a university um, in the language that you chose, taking engineering courses and stuff like that. Um, in a foreign language. And then the second six months is actually at a internship. Um, so you gain kind of working proficiency in the language that you chose. Um, and then your fifth year, you kind of come back and you wrap up your ocean engineering courses or, you know, whatever engineering that you chose. And so um, kind of while I was at this college fair and was, you know, this guy was describing this program to me, I was like, okay, I'm going to do that. Please sign me up. <laughs> Um, and so I pretty much went into college knowing that I, that's exactly what I was going to do. And everyone was super surprised that I was going to try to get a whole degree in Spanish. Um, but yeah, so that, that's kind of how I came to it. Talk about, you know, throwing yourself into the deep end, taking engineering in a different language, Co coastal pun intended. <laughs> yeah, for sure. <laughs> um, uh, don't tell me you're a masked kid. Were you a masked kid? No, high tech. Okay. All right. I just, same, just, same school system. Okay. Just, just go, go, cause I'm one of the things I do on the side, I'm on the board of, uh, advisory board at MAST. So when you said science and technology focused and you said you were from Brielle, I was like, oh my God, please, please don't tell me she was at MAST. That would be crazy. Yeah. I used, but, I, I, uh, I almost applied to MAST, but I chose high tech instead. Cool. Very cool. Um, so Mohammed's, you know, speaking of, you know, throwing yourself into the deep, deep end, you said you, you, your first experience and the first time you came to America was to, uh, enroll at, in a program at Stanford. So that seems pretty ambitious as well. So can you talk a little bit more about kind of what led you to that decision? Yeah. So, uh, in, uh, in my undergrad, uh, my, uh, uh, my undergrad advisor uh, was uh, wanted me to work on this very advanced uh, undergrad thesis where I decided to study the effect of climate change and socioeconomics on the water uh, resources uh, in Jordan. And um, for that, I had to use, um, I had to learn multiple uh, models. One of them was GIS and the other is called WEEP, which is Water Evaluation and Planning Tool. And it's a water resources uh, model. 
um, I, that was a success and he loved my work and he told me, uh, I want you to work with me after you graduate and uh, help me build this uh, coursework to introduce undergrad students in Jordan to hydroinformatic tools like GIS or uh, WEEP or SWAT. SWAT is another hydrology tool. Uh, and that's uh, that's how it started. And the project was uh, the the project was partnered with uh, Stanford. And uh, part of the project was uh, for a student to go and build the, those mini uh, mini exercises. Let's call them mini. <laughs> They're not that big. <laughs> Uh, to introduce uh, undergrads who do, who don't know anything about water resources in Jordan, uh, it's a it's a field that is uh, at, now it's it's booming there. People are understanding it more. But before, like if I'm talking five years ago, students were not much were not that much attracted to water resources. And uh, from there, I went to uh, Stanford uh, with my advisor. We went together and uh, we worked there to build uh, these models and learn them. And uh, the models, uh, GIS, WEEP, and SWAT. Then uh, I went back to my home country and uh, helped him build this course. Th this is how I came to Stanford. Stanford was like... I, I came from Jordan. Jordan is in the Middle East, and uh, to be thrown just suddenly into Stanford, Palo Alto, was something out of the ordinary. I felt like I'm coming into another planet. I left Earth and came to maybe Mars or I don't know. So I, uh, after I was done, I to be honest, I was shocked. I came back to Jordan and applied to the master's program at my school and started my master's program. But in the back of my head, I was so shocked with the difference in, uh, in the research level and how people are, how research institutions in the US work. And I loved research since I was a kid. I, uh, and my dad helped me build this relationship with research where the first research that I actually did is I went out with my father when I was in elementary school and we collected uh, flowers uh during spring and i stuck the flowers into a notebook and started uh, writing the characteristics of those flowers that was actually the the uh the spark that uh, led to me going into research um it was always my father that uh, he pushed me to do all of these things and uh, so after i was done with uh, stanford uh, the course, I, I have to reiterate that, taking that hydrodynamic course, which which tells a big story. This whole story, my whole story is actually a, like, is around that course. Uh, it affected me in every way. And I was like, this is amazing. I want to do this forever. Because I, I kind of lost passion throughout my master's to, uh, I wasn't feeling the passion anymore in hydrology and water management. And I was like, wow, this is something new. So uh, this is like, and then I started learning more about sediment transport on the continental shelf. And that's where waves and the ocean came into my life and started learning more about them through some lab experiments uh, at the University of Washington. And then, uh, and then here I am about to be done with my PhD in civil in ocean engineering. <laughs> started with civil, ended up with ocean. So uh, yeah, I, 
I was also thrown to the deep end. <laughs> As a, you, you touched on something. I'm just, I'm, I'm curious, Lauren. Mohammed mentioned specifically a, a, a class, singular class that really impacted his trajectory. Um, and I think that we might all have stories that impact our trajectory, either positively or negatively. Um, so I'm just curious, has there been a moment in your life or a class or something or a person even that maybe really pushed you in a certain direction or away from something? I'm just curious. Yeah, definitely. Uh, so I've had a lot of those moments. Um, there's definitely been kind of a lot of teachers in my life that you know, through their kind of passion for their subject, it kind of turned me on or off of different subjects that kind of guided me uh, to where I am. But I would say that one thing that kind of really changed uh, things for me later on um, and kind of inspired the PhD work I did. So I was in uh, undergraduate um, uh, ocean wave mechanics class in the spring of 2011. And that uh, March was when the Japan Tohoku tsunami happened. And the professor of that class, uh, Dr. Stefan Grilly, uh, was my, um, became my PhD advisor later. Um, but he is a tsunami expert. Um, he was interviewed on the news when that happened. And, you know, he came into the class the next day, or I, I, maybe it was like later that week, um, and gave us a really in-depth lecture on his like state of the art tsunami research. And I was like on the edge of my seat <laughs> for that entire class period. Um, and I was like, this is like so unbelievable. And like understanding the just like nature of the ocean is so important because in some cases it can truly be like life or death. Um, and that kind of was really inspiring for me. Um, and then that class in general, I mean, you know, we talked about kind of sediment transport and, you know, waves in general. And just growing up at the beach, I was like aware of the power of the ocean, you know, especially when we kind of experience hurricanes um, on the U.S. East Coast. And they can be super devastating. Um, yeah, so so that class as a whole, but particularly that week when the Tohoku tsunami happened was like totally life changing. Wow. So you must be like super smart if you're one of. Stefan Grilly's students, PhD students. I don't know about that. Maybe super determined would be a better way to put it. <laughs> <laughs> People say that about me. Oh, you were, you were like one of Bob Dean's PhD students. And I'm like, yeah, I'm very determined. <laughs> exactly. It's a lot of different ways to get to the same end. Totally. Very cool. Lauren, with, with respects to your, um, your international experience, can we like, I guess, dig in a little bit about you know, exactly where and um, just some more, like more dirt on, uh, on on where you were and what it was like? Definitely. Okay. So first thing, um, I had never traveled abroad before. I was leaving to go live abroad. Um, I had also never traveled by myself before. So first time traveling alone without my family. I'm taking a red eye over to Spain, a country I had never been, and a language that I thought I knew, but realized very quickly that <laughs> I was going to really have to brush up on the Spanish once I got there. Um, everyone just talked so fast. Um, but yeah, so it was a red eye flight from uh, New York over to Madrid. And once I got there, I was going to have to find the subway, find the train station, and then take a four-hour train north to Santander. Um which is where the University of Cantabria is. 
uh, which is where I was going abroad to study. Uh, I <laughs> was supposed to stay with a host family. They didn't get my wire transfer until I was already on my flight. And so they hadn't sent me the address or the phone number of the host family because they weren't going to do that until I got the wire until they got the wire transfer. So I left the country for the first time by myself, <laughs> not even knowing where I was staying that night and just hoping that I would be able to find an internet connection uh, when I arrived to figure out where on earth I was supposed to go. Um, and then to make matters worse, uh, that was the year or around the time that the movie Taken was uh, released. And the girl next to me on the plane decided that that was the movie <laughs> that she was going to watch. <laughs> um, oh my God. <laughs> So, uh, <laughs> so it was interesting to say the least. Um, but yeah, so I remember arriving. I, you know, was, you know, feeling kind of confident, but I was staying there with two suitcases trying to figure out, like, navigate the subway system, figure out where I had to go. I found, like, an internet cafe. And this was back in uh, the fall of 2011. So, like, smartphones weren't really a thing at that point. So um, I literally found, like, an internet cafe and I was, like, asking about like Wi-Fi, um, but there they pronounce it Wi-Fi, but I like didn't really know that. And so they couldn't really understand me and I couldn't really understand them. <laughs> but I ended up getting the address of where I was supposed to go. I wrote it down on this piece of paper. Um, I get on the train. It's a four hour train ride. I'm exhausted. I haven't slept, you know, this entire time. I'm terrified that if I fall asleep on this train that someone's going to steal my luggage. Um, so I was like trying to like <laughs> hold my leg, like luggage in my lap. <laughs> I'm like, oh my God, this is ridiculous. Um, and I finally arrived, uh, to the, to the city and I'm like, okay, I have to get a taxi. And, you know, I'm, I live pretty close to New York, but I had never taken a taxi before in my life. <laughs> so I was like, okay, great. This is another first. So I'm going to have to figure out how to call a taxi. And then I don't even know how to contact the people. And this, I, I was just very thankful this taxi driver like totally took pity on me. I He's like, where are you going? I'm like in broken Spanish trying to like explain to him. I just hand him the piece of paper with like the address and the people's phone number. And he just was like, okay, I'm going to call these people. I'll get you there safe. <laughs> and I was like, I'm just giving you an enormous tip when we get there because this is ridiculous. <laughs> um. So yeah, so for, first impressions, it was like really crazy and it was a lot and I it took a little while to decompress from all of that stress wow that's 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 like a crazy story that's like you know it's a it's a it's a thing like a jersey girl would do just like take on all of that at once and just say screw it I'm gonna figure this out yeah this is, this is totally fine everything's great oh my god uh, that's that's crazy. So, so, so Muhammad, are you going to top that? Like, do you have a? <laughs> I don't think so. I think it worked in the opposite way for me. For me to like move from the Middle East to to Seattle, it's like like an upper class uh, like <laughs> service. <laughs> so uh, when I first came to the US like I I was like okay it's easy I should take the train I should go there the bus is going to come at the schedule I don't need to take a taxi or anything so I was even able to well I was also fortunate more fortunate I maybe I should mention this I uh, in one of the years 
University of Washington sent out uh, a bunch of students from Seattle to Jordan to learn about the water management uh, that uh, Jordan just Jordan is a is a is a semi-arid country so water management is 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 very important uh, and uh, they have a lot of technologies for wastewater because it's a third world country and they when they get their funds for uh, water management specifically for wastewater they get it from uh, other countries and uh, if they want to implement those, uh, uh, if they want to give them the fund, the country has to implement the technology of wastewater in Jordan. So if you go to Jordan, you'll find out that the country is filled with different technologies of wastewater treatment from all over the world, which is a very good environment for someone who wants to learn about uh, environmental engineering. That's That was my interest. So uh, the... Uh, uh, the school uh, decided, my school, because we were hosting them, my, my school in Jordan was hosting them, decided to uh, choose uh, other students from our school to interact with them and go out with them and travel with them and live, live with them. So I was one of the students and I met uh, my friend Colin. Uh, he's, he's my best friend. He lives in Seattle. I met Colin and uh, when I told him I'm coming to Seattle, uh, he lives in Seattle, uh, he told me, "Okay, that's perfect. We can uh, you can just stay with uh, me." And uh, he was he was staying with his mom. His mom has a big house, but he was moving, and he was he was he told me, "You can stay with me at my mom's house." And I stayed there for like uh, three weeks until I found a place. So no, I can't top any of her stories. To be honest, that's probably it's probably a good thing. I'm the, happy for the- you. <laughs> Yeah, I was so fortunate. I always remember that. I, I even sent her a text. Uh, her name is Jill. I sent her a text and I told her, thank you so much. Just a week ago, I sent her a text just uh, thanking her again for hosting me. But uh, one thing that was very hard for me is uh, uh, trying to always, and uh, this is me coming into the US, I was always trying to impress the people around me. And uh, I impress in terms of academic uh, environment. I was always trying to be top of my class, always trying to get full grades and everything. And th- this brings me to a funny story. It might top hers or not. I don't know. So in Seattle, there's no uh, the the sun exposure is not that uh, uh, is is not that much. So you have to take vitamin D. And I went there and I didn't know about that. So I kept studying and I'm always in the library. There's no exposure to sun or anything. And uh, I, I was hyped up on a lot of coffee all the day to finish everything. But uh, the class that I told you about, and this, this story actually, uh, I'm very proud of this story because it shows that you have to follow your dreams no matter what. The hydrodynamics class, the midterm, and I'm, I'm actually holding the midterm in my hands now. I'm looking at it. And uh, I got, for that class that changed my life, my midterm, I got four, eight out of 40 in that class. So, and uh, yeah, the class, and the question was simple. Uh, it's not simple. The question was, there's a double glass window. And uh, because of the uh, difference in temperature, the air between the double glass is going to move around because warm air is going to go up and cold air is going to go down. You have to solve the Navier-Stokes and uh, stuff like that. So 
I, uh, I, I got eight out of 40 and, uh, I actually did not sub, I did not give my advisor, my master's advisor. I did not give him the, uh, the, the, the solution, uh, because it was just the Navier Stokes equations. I just put them and just said, you have to assume this. And I didn't, I didn't know how to do anything else, but I told him I, uh, so after that I went out and went to the library shocked and, uh, Somehow I was so dizzy and I fell on the floor and uh, I had my first ever and last, I think, panic attack. <laughs> and uh, I, was, I was surprised. I was like, what is this feeling? It's so weird. <laughs> so I, uh, I called my friend. She went with me to the uh, uh, infirmary, I think, the, the, the doctor. And uh, uh, the doctor told me your, your vitamin D is just there's no vitamin D in your body. It's way below the minimum. So you, you have to have like, I took these 50,000 units uh, pills, like those big pills of vitamin D. And uh, that was like, and even though I got a very bad grade, I told my advisor, I want to learn this. I want to do this. Apparently the whole class was actually not getting good grades. So he gave us the, the exam, to a take home exam. Uh, and uh, I got a good grade in that class, even though the first trial was very bad. So no matter what happens, no, if you like something, just hold on to it. That's that's actually the takeaway from the story. That is a, that's actually a great. It is a great takeaway, and it's just great great advice in general. So I'm I'm <laughs> I'm wondering, Lord, like so when you were overseas, experiencing some of your difficulties, cultural language, etc. You know, what were some of the things that you did uh, to try to help you kind of overcome those? Yeah, for sure. So I think, you know, just in general, like one of the first things was just like the communication barriers. Like, yeah, like I had studied Spanish. I was getting good grades in it, like over here in the U.S., but that's like completely different from, you know, being taught like difficult course material in a different language. Um, so like right off the bat, it was like everything was just like so much harder. And that gave me, you know, down the line, that gives me like so much empathy for students who come to the U.S. to study abroad here um, because like the material is super difficult and it's like way harder when you're studying it in a language that's not your native language. Um, and I just remember, so I had a, a couple friends um, and I actually lived with um my roommate who was also from the University of Rhode Island and we weren't originally going to live together. Um, but we ended up not finding apartments and then we were like, you know what, like, you know, let's just get an apartment together. That way we're not freaking out about where we're going to live. And that actually was like really nice to kind of have a place where I could come back and, you know, we could communicate with each other in English, um, which I'm sure the program people wouldn't be super happy to hear that, but <laughs> it was really nice to kind of have someone who kind of understood what I was going through to, to talk about it with and also to just kind of relax in the same space um, and be able to kind of communicate freely without having to think about everything that I was trying to say. Um, and yeah, I definitely... I would say overall the experience was really, really good. I learned a lot, but it, it I wouldn't say it was like super, super fun all the time. Like it was work for sure. Cause uh like you're you're 
trying to learn how this different culture works and how you can potentially fit into it. You're kind of trying to figure out how to make friends when you can't totally communicate super well. Um, and so, you know, the, the work ends up paying off eventually, but sometimes when you're in it, it's like really hard and you can get super homesick and question like why you're even doing this in the first place. Um, so if anyone's kind of like abroad right now and is thinking like, oh, this is <laughs> super difficult, like, I don't know if this is worth it. Like, I think that's a pretty normal way to feel at some points during the journey. And then hopefully overall, like the things that you end up learning make the overall experience like super worth it. Um, and I'm kind of forgetting what the question was about, but hopefully I answered it. <laughs> yeah, no, you, no, you, you answered it. And, uh, you know, I think it's, you know, I, the, the, both of those previous stories, right? Uh, Muhammad's story about the grade on the exam and, and your, your, your story is about struggling a little bit when you were over there. That I think it's just, you know, it's, you know, you hear people say all the time, like, you know, you have to, if you love it, stick with it, uh, you know, you know, push through the hard times, all that kind of stuff. Right. And sometimes it's, sometimes it just seems like noise. It's right. It's like, it's the soundbite that people say, right. But when you talk to people who've actually been through it and like both of you have, right. And kind of came through on the other side and like, you really realize that there's some truth to it. So it's kind of cool to hear you know, both of you say how you, you kind of stuck through those, those harder times. So, you know, me, me personally, I also studied overseas. I, I actually went to Australia on a Fulbright and I took the easy way out. I said, I'm forget the language thing. I'm just going to go somewhere else where, well, I thought they spoke English in Australia, <laughs> having been in Australia. And, uh, I think it was a little bit of hazing going on with some of my, uh, Australian mates, but, uh, I think they put on their heaviest, thickest, Australian accent, spoke with the most amount of slang that I've ever heard in my life and tried to confuse the hell out of me, quite frankly. So it was, it's, <laughs> it's English, but it's, it's a different, it's not English really. But, uh, but yeah, I can, yeah, I can, you know, commiserate with, with both of you in that, you know, it's, it's a, it's a, it's a, it's a bit of a culture shock, right? It's a little bit of getting used to it's, um, you know, there's, there's, there's struggles that you're going to go through um, language, uh, you know, grades, exams, etc. So, um, yeah, it's not, it's not always going to be a, a, a straightforward, easy path. Yeah. And I would just say too, like, it doesn't even have to be like studying abroad, really. It's like anytime you do something where you are moving away from your kind of support system that you've had and having to figure out what your new support system is going to be or what it's going to look like, I mean, like, is, that's just a really difficult thing to go through. And that could even be just like jumping from high school into college or college into a career and moving to a new city where you don't know anyone. Um, so I think like the study abroad experience, like kind of prepared me for that. But like, that's hard no matter when you're going through it. Yeah, no, I would say that that's that's 100 percent true. And you just said that it like really struck me because I, I, I actually did my undergrad at Stevens. So, which is in New Jersey, which is where I lived and I grew up and I actually commuted to my undergrad college. And when I graduated, I went down to University of Florida to get my PhD and in moving down there, you know, first time living on my own and all that kind of stuff. There's a lot of culture shock, you know, even though it's still the United States. And again, it's just like moving to Australia when it, there's a language barrier between New Jersey. I speak very fast and I use Jersey slang and down there they speak a little bit slower and they have the Southern uh, slang. And so there was a language barrier there too. And it's just, you know, kind of getting used to the culture and like, 
So, I mean, I, I guess with that, maybe Mohammed, is there anything like, you know, obviously you, you had a friend that was kind of built in in Seattle when you got there, but is there anything else that you did to kind of uh, help kind of acclimate yourself to, you know, studying in the U.S.? Yeah, my friend was, uh, I, I remember I, I didn't spend much, even though he's my best friend over there. My master's program was so fast and uh, it's a quarter system uh, in Seattle. It's not a semester, so it's more compact. So I didn't have time to really do anything. Uh, I was barely able to go for a run or uh, go to the gym. But the when I started my PhD, that's when I actually had... Uh, well, during my master's, my master's was a very emotional, very hard time for me, to be honest. It was very hard. I was I was supposed to take all of these classes take and take on a new field fluid mechanics that I don't have any experience in and uh, that was very hard but um, I, I I survived I made it through and uh, when I came to so back then I was not paying attention to any of my feelings <laughs> like uh, okay I, I miss my parents uh, I was like okay there's no time to miss your parents you have to finish your masters now <laughs> so uh, the rush through my masters made me not think about anything uh, like my vitamin D <laughs> I didn't think about that but when I started my PhD I was able to relax a little bit and then I felt uh, the difference especially moving from Seattle to uh, New Jersey was kind of a shock to me. I wasn't expecting New Jersey to be different from Seattle. And uh, so the the cultural shock in New Jersey was uh, a, a little bit uh, weird. I didn't know what to do. I didn't know what to uh, what activities should I do here, except I always go for soccer, but is there anything else that I can do here? Um, so. I the, the best thing that I did was uh, interacting with uh, people from different backgrounds outside of work. I loved, uh, for example, I loved uh, going to uh, Latin dancing. I loved uh, trying. I even tried painting in New York. Uh, I tried uh, some theaters. So for me, the the thing that uh, shed away my uh, my home sickness was uh, interacting with different cultures and different uh, and different uh, backgrounds people from different backgrounds especially outside of my work because if I keep myself inside of work you're gonna you're not gonna feel much of a difference during your uh, for example your weekend you hang out with the people you work with but uh, especially for international students that's what they do most of the time uh, but yeah the best thing that I did was to actually reach out to other communities and do uh, new activities try new things great advice so we're kind of getting close to the end of our time so I want to get one last question out to both of you um, and that question is very simple, very basic. Um, and that is if you had any advice for somebody that would be thinking about studying abroad, um, and maybe it's something in, and how studying abroad has impacted you in your career or where you are now, um, let's kind of go for that and see if we can't uh, inspire some students and uh, young professionals to pursue studying abroad. 
So I would say it's an experience that's definitely worth it. Um, there's a bunch of different ways that you can go about doing it. You know, there's shorter programs, there's longer programs. You know, you don't have to stay for a full year like I did. But I think that anytime you can kind of take an opportunity to um, learn about a new culture, kind of expand your horizons, um, gain perspectives, um, and and uh, experience things that you've never experienced before. I think that that's just always a really, really good exercise. Um, and studying abroad is definitely a great way to do that. Um, and then something that has kind of stayed with me since this experience, um, I remember having a really hard time, uh, especially at the beginning, just communicating. Um, and, you know, I, I could know totally what I'm doing and I would just have a really hard time, like, you know, explaining my process for like the engineering class, for example. Um, and just kind of like giving that grace to people who are trying to communicate with me um, in, you know, in English when English isn't their second language and trying to really kind of understand uh, as best that I can, you know, what they're trying to communicate and working with them to, you know, get to a common understanding. I think that that's been an extremely valuable skill because um, I always really, really appreciated when people tried to do the same with me uh, when I was over in Spain. Yeah, that's that's definitely something that I picked up being in Australia. There's the sort of the engineering side, right? The academic side. And then there's those other like soft skills, call them or whatever, that and they're just as important or perhaps more important than anything that you learn on the in this academic setting. Mohammed, I'll ask the same question to you. Uh, yeah, uh, it falls in the uh, I will fall in the same footsteps uh, as Lauren. And uh, yes, reach out to different communities, reach out to people. Uh, most likely people will not reach out to you if you don't reach out to them. Um, uh, always uh, keep an open um, mind to try new things, try new hobbies. And uh, always remember that uh, Without friction, the car will not be able to move forward. If the car, if there's no friction and the car is skidding, then you're going to stand still. You need some friction and that friction resembles itself in the hardships that you face when you move abroad, when you uh, face new barriers like language barriers or uh, academic barriers. Just, uh, just, just hang in there and uh, reach out to people ask people for help uh, don't 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 be closed on yourself that's that's the most important thing that's 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 great advice Mohammed I'm not even gonna try to top that I'm just gonna wrap up by um, first of all thanking Mohammed and Lauren for joining us today and uh, a few announcements before we uh, head on out um, Student and New Professionals chapter of ASBPA has a new mentoring program um, and they're inviting participation. Students and new professionals can sign up to request a mentor and likewise professionals can sign up to become a mentor. So Lauren, think about it. Mohammed, think about it. Um, you can send a, an email to the SMP chapter uh, at asbpa.smp at gmail.com and I can vouch for this. I had my first discussion with my mentee today. And I can tell you, it was an amazing hour and a half. We scheduled a half an hour, and I think it was an hour and a half we talked together. So it was really a positive interaction, and I'm looking forward to my next conversation. So sign up if you're interested at all. 
The National Coastal Conference, the ASBPA's National Coastal Conference this year is October 11th to 13th in Providence, Rhode Island. Uh, the theme is Anchors Away, Revolutionary Times for Coastal Habitats. Uh, registration for the conference is now open. Uh, abstracts for presentations just closed, but poster abstracts uh, presentations are due by August 15th, as are professional project and student award nominations. So if you're out there and you're interested, submit an abstract for a poster, get nominated. Um, uh, the awards program is great. Young Coastal Scientists and Engineers Conference Americas, or YCSECA, is taking place at August 10th through 12th in Madison, Wisconsin. Abstracts for that conference are due June 23rd. Uh, and finally, from ASBPA side, nominations for ASBPA's Best Restored Shores Award are now open. Uh, the award's in its fifth year, celebrating projects that are well-designed and implemented, focused on restoring natural resources that enhance shoreline resilience by addressing environmental degradation, storm impacts, climate change, and sea level rise. And nominations are open through August 1st. And last but not least, if you're enjoying this podcast, I encourage you to go out and support Going Coastal uh, while also aligning your brand with the ASBPA Students and New Professionals chapter. Uh, we can customize a sponsorship package for your company to deliver on all your marketing goals and connect with the next generation of coastal pros. Share your story in top coastal and ocean podcasts and on Coastal News Today. If you're interested in that, uh, please contact Tyler Buckingham, our fabulous producer, at tyler at coastalnewstoday.com or go to coastalnewstoday.com backslash advertising. Thank you very much for listening. See you next time.